and good morning. Hope you all are well. Good to see you on this St. Patrick's Day. I got my socks. Yeah. And uh, I'm on staff here at Park Church. I'm the coordinator of what's a ministry called Park Cares. And just wanted to give you an update. We have a fuller team now. We have four members on our team. And what we are, we're a ministry of caregiving, people who either in crisis or just going through a hard time. You need safe people to talk to, biblically based. Also, uh, our members have different expertise areas. Uh, uh, Rich Beckenhauer used to be a pastor. Sabrina works for the Coast Guard, myself. Shana has some, done some work in trauma uh, interventions. So we have different specialties, and if you need someone to talk to and pair you up with, just contact on the website Park Church uh, under Park Serves, and we'll coordinate uh, that meeting with you. We want to be here for you. We want to show you visible faces that are here to serve in our community. And with that, we'll continue our series, Love Where You Live, and we're getting toward the home stretch. The passage we'll see this morning is from the letter of James. So I invite you now to hear God's word for you and for us as a community. And uh, it'll be in chapter 2, James chapter 2, verse 14. Let's hear God's word together. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. But some will say, you have faith, and I have works. Huh, show me your faith apart from your works, and I, by my works, will show you my faith. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him or counted to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Amen. So, I remember vividly a hot summer night in my basement. I was 19 years old. And there I was with my father. Once again, something we did a lot of, which was argue. I was arguing with my dad, but this time it was about the gospel. Yes. For I had just become a believer recently, but in his eyes, being Irish Catholic, I became a Protestant. Oh my gosh. You know, it'd be better if I was still in trouble with the police. He said, how dare you become a Protestant? You can't. So what he did in that hot summer night in the basement, he told that, pulled out his big, called the Douay Bible, 
Yeah, thick enough to choke a mule. It was like this thick. And also, a can of Budweiser, usually on the other hand. So we ensued to talk about, yes, James chapter 2. And he said, look, Brian, it's right there. See, you are saved by works, not by faith only. And that was the beginning of my understanding of something that I totally get now, which was a common critique that Catholics would have about Protestants. We're not even protesting, are we? But that we were saved by grace. We just sang a song, saved by grace alone. And the critique goes like this. Well, that's easy believism. You can just, you know, sin one day and ask for forgiveness because you're not saved by what you do. And you can act any way you want, and eventually you can just say, God forgave me. Quite a distortion, but you get the point. We have to realize that folks can imagine a cheap gospel. And I became aware that this is a problem. James chapter 2 makes this an issue, right? Because he's saying, on one hand, imagine a person says, I have faith, but I don't do anything about it. He goes on to say, you know what? Even the demons in hell say there's one God, which is the Shema, right? But that doesn't mean anything. We have to also have our works come alongside of them. So, Martin Luther, the reformer, he was so disturbed, you know, the guy in Germany that left the Catholic Church, when he read James chapter 2, he called it the epistle of straw, and he wanted to tear it out of the Bible. He couldn't quite understand how do you get your mind around this. So, just yesterday we did a bunch of good deeds at Park uh, in the name of Jesus for the community. But does that save us? And if we don't do good deeds, are we in trouble? This is a lot to chew on. What is exactly our relationship between our deeds and our faith in Jesus Christ? And what is God saying to us today through this passage? How can God meet us as a community at this time, at this place? I invite you, would you join me, to think about God's word to us through this passage in James. Now, first a little background. James was the brother of Jesus, yes. Remember, his brothers and sisters didn't believe in him, but then James became a believer, and he uh, has a very Jewish audience. You see, throughout the book of James, he is very much uh, rooted in the Torah. He has a lot of wisdom literature. He writes on things that are very down to earth. He says, what, a, what about issues of your tongue? He has a whole section on how our tongue gets us in trouble. He says, watch out for that. He says, hey, watch out for favoritism. He has a whole section on that. Watch out for your wealth. It can get you into trouble. Watch out for hypocrisy. He goes on and talks about these many things. And watch out how you treat the poor. But there's something below all that that James is getting at. And it's this. You see, James is less of a theologian than he is a behavioral scientist. He's watching people. He's observing them. He says, Christians are forgetful. They're sometimes like a person who looks himself in the mirror, walks away, and forgets what they look like. James is a bit harsh at times. He gets a lot of people mad. But God has a word for us, and we need to listen to it and overhear that debate between Catholics and Protestants and ask, well, wait, we are saved by faith. Does James contradict what Paul writes in the book of Romans? We're going to look at that now and think about how to make sense of this. So we'll do a little Bible 101. Is that okay with you? All right. We'll read it a little bit. 
The word justified is used both by James and by Paul. James has this, was not our ancestor Abraham justified by what? By works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. So he says, you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, look what Paul says in Romans. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned or counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but something due. But to the one who without works trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. What is going on here? One thing that can help us is that words are tricky, right? We have to realize context and what the word in the original Greek was doing here. We have the same word justified, but used in different ways. Check it out. In Romans, the Apostle Paul is writing about what God has done, showing in our father Abraham back in chapter 15. All Abraham did was he said, look up at the stars. He says, that will be your descendants, as many as the stars. And it says back in Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God and was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? So when Paul talks about that, to be justified, to be made right with God, is to be acquitted, to be pardoned. It's more of a legal deal. Okay? Very different than what James is doing. In James, justified is to demonstrate or to vindicate or to show up and prove what is already true. So here he says, Abraham wasn't justified until chapter 22 in Genesis, right? When he did what? He offered Isaac on the altar. That didn't save him. It just showed up or vindicated his fruit of his belief. Rahab the prostitute in Joshua chapter 2, this is when the spies were led into the land and two spies were hidden in Rahab's house. She believed the God of the Hebrews, even though she wasn't a Hebrew. And what happened there is that her faith was justified by getting the spies out safely. Ah, so now we have a resolution. They're not talking about two different things. James and Paul are buddies after all, right? We're okay. We are saved by faith alone. What a relief, huh? Huh? I hope. And I think today, most Catholics would agree as well, and maybe it's come from that background, that we don't get saved by uh, our works, but it is our faith. But we can also see, listen now, if we pause and reflect, the validity of that critique about people who have what we call Christianity light, who don't go as deep. Because even still, I think we have to wrestle with this question. Still, James poses this today to us. If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, and have your fill. Have a nice day. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Remember, James is more like a behavioral scientist. It's not so much we have bad theology, it's that we have bad spirituality. And so the question is simply this. Who does that? Who does that? You would think you have impaired vision 
to act that way to someone so in blatant need. I'd say, who does that? People who are tired, people who are busy, people who are distracted, people who have no bandwidth in their schedule, who are racing from one thing to another. That's the type of people who do that. As leaders of our community groups, one thing that's come out of Love Where You Live is that we really don't know our neighbors that well. We really don't have time to connect with others. We really have such a speed that we don't slow down to know uh, our neighbors or the kids that well that live nearby us. Because we also are tired and busy and distracted and don't have enough bandwidth. James has this word to us today, and I hope you can hear it, that if we have focus on too many things, we cannot practice our faith. Amen? Now, in our series, we had two sermons on the Good Samaritan. Do you remember? First, Paul Reddick gave it. He said, the Good Samaritan, the person that helps out the man or woman in need, he says, that act is the basics, right? He said, doing Good Samaritan work is the basics of our Christianity. It's like a layup in basketball, right? Real basic. Matt did the next sermon on Good Samaritan and said this, yeah, it's true, it's a layup, but we're not too good at making layups. We don't do the basics too well. And the reason is, is because we don't practice enough. We don't practice enough. We're too busy moving too fast to make good layups, steady layups. We have to slow down. I know this is hard, but we have to learn to put something aside, create some space, so we can again do the basics. Because sometimes, let's face it, we'll come in here on a Sunday, an hour or so, and say, well, what's that about? Well, what did I get out of that? What happened? Even a community group, which is a great experience, we may not get the depth of what we're looking for. God wants to meet us and do something even deeper. So, I know we're busy. I know a lot of you got little kids. I know as a pastor, I had three toddlers at once, so I've been there. I'm not there now, but I've been there. I can relate. It's hard to slow down. It's hard. But we must slow down if we're not to live like this. Who does that? Otherwise, our faith will be empty. Our faith will be shallow. Our faith will become a checkbox. Our faith will be fruitless. Our faith, yes, will be dead. And that is really scary. This is scary. I think James means to scare us in the best sense. That we can miss God doing a very obvious thing in our hearts because we are too busy. Yes, it's true. The Christian faith is free, but it's not cheap. It's costly. It's work. And if we don't slow down, we will miss a lot. My other job is I work as a therapist, and you know what? I keep charts. It's a practice. I gotta keep practicing. Sometimes I don't get current on my charts, so I'll get behind. I could probably go by a session and not review the client and what his or her situation is. Maybe two sessions, but after that, I can't get by on fumes. I can't ignore that connection. One client came to me a few months ago after trying to stay on top of his, his case and I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't practicing. I double booked. <laughs> he came in. Another person had his appointment. 
He told me, you said I had this time. I said, I'm sorry. I said, by the way, how's it going with your wife, Tara? He said, her name's Teresa. I said, oh, wow. He came back one more session, and I lost him for not slowing down. Andy gave a sermon two weeks ago, remember, about the man being let through the roof to see Jesus. And he said, we got to bring people to Jesus. But our question now this morning, as we look at this passage, if we don't slow down and be with Jesus, what are we bringing people to? Bring God to people, people to God. But when they come here, the question is, are we inviting other people to be as harried and frenzied in their walk with God as some of us are? What are we inviting people to be part of? James is saying, slow down, do the basics, which is the inner life. We attend to the inner life and the outer life will flow. Amen? Then we can bear witness to this amazing love of God and Jesus Christ of what he's done. Then we can avoid having empty faith. So, there's a lot at stake. Catherine the Great was the Empress of Russia 200 years ago. And um, she had a, a, a field general named Potemkin. And Potemkin, what he did in Russia for, for uh, Catherine the Great, he gave her a tour of, it, it took four years and a thousand miles in southern Russia. And he set up these villages that were called Potemkin villages. Basically, he put facades up along the way so the queen would go by and she would think that there were villages there. They were just fronts. And he, he set up these happy villagers who were just, you know, stud people. And after she left, they, people went back to do what they were doing before. Here's an author who posed this question regarding that. He said, how much of the American church is a Potemkin village with numbers and glitz and awesome music and sizzle, but with little depth? He goes on to say, the truth be told, statistically, we have large numbers of Jesus followers in our churches who, apart from Sunday, they pray and read the Bible very little. They are enslaved to social media and some to pornography. Husbands and wives who have not had sex with their spouse in months. Marriages dying a slow death every Sunday. Kids who don't see their parents' Christian faith really making a difference. They're too busy pursuing the American dream to help the poor. People in church with each other with unresolved conflict, and those relationships are shallow. They only see each other on Sunday morning. Wow. It's true, our time is limited. We only have so much time. But here's the temptation. If we put all our focus on external ministry of how we look to those on the outside, we're going to have very little bandwidth left, very little space to attend to the inner life, to attend to the practices that will show we have something to offer people. My question to you folks, and it's a challenge, if we bring people to Park Church, would they discover it's a Potemkin village? I hope not. Yes, we are saved by faith alone, but it's not a faith that is alone. I love this phrase. It can't be a faith that doesn't have practice to it. The Catholics have a very good point and things we need to learn together. So, what I'd like us to do is to offer four possible practices. I, I like the word practice. Um, discipline is a tough word, but it can kind of scare you, like it's not legalism. 
Um, I'm not very disciplined myself. Uh, you should see my desk. But you know what? This word practice is one that people are gathering around. Both Catholics and Protestants, Evangelicals, Orthodox, realizing that there must be certain practices that we put in our life to help us stay rooted and slow us down. I'd like to offer four of them for you. Um, because, let's face it, how do we get good at anything? We practice. We talk about a dental practice. The dentist gets good by he or she practicing. We have a law of practice. You practice learning a new um, software. You practice a skill. You get better at it. Like the cab driver told the guy, how do I get to Carnegie Hall? He said, you practice, right? That's how you do it. Okay, so we have to learn practices in our Christian life as well. Let me offer you uh, four for today. The first one is huge, and we all can do it, but it's not easy, is silence. Practicing silence is a premium but maybe we're too afraid. We're too afraid to be unplugged. How long can you go? Can you take a break from anything that's plugged in? Start with a minute, two minutes. The gift of silence is something when we allow God to be God. Amen? When we are silent, it's like what Matt said last week. We are not engineering the whole deal. God is God and I am not. And I am silent. Let's try it for a second, huh? God is God. You know, I came to Park Church five years ago when it was still meeting at the other location. You know, every Sunday we did that for like a couple minutes. But somehow we fell out of it, right? Those who remember, why did we fall out of it? Maybe we felt we didn't want to be weird. <laughs> but people are actually hungering and thirsting for silence. Psalm 131, write it down. It's so powerful. He says, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes fixed on things far beyond me. But I have stilled myself like a child at rest. I have stilled my soul like a weaned child, no longer nursing, a still child. So is my soul at rest within me. If you're up to it, build up to it, even taking a silent retreat, which I've done before. It's a very powerful experience let God be God. But it's a practice. Do it during the day. When you find yourself getting off the rails, stop. Shut everything off. Build it, your muscles. One minute, two minutes, five minutes, and do it often. Another practice, what I call scripture and conversation. Now, I don't mean to go against the party line, but I will. Um, the Bible in a year, I'm not a big fan. I think it's easier to have small chunks of scripture. I am not in a hurry to read a chapter. I'm going to stop until the Holy Spirit speaks to me, and I'm going to park there. I'm going to stay there and think, what is God saying to me? Conversational prayer is more like this. Now, you can read big sections of the Bible, but make sure you slow down enough to hear a part that says, Lord, how do I apply this? Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and carrying heavy burdens. That's enough. I don't have to read more. Jesus says to me, Brian, how is this true in your life? Write back and say, and maybe in your journal, Lord, wh where am I 
um, taking on yokes, taking on responsibilities. How am I being too busy? Let God speak to you. Conversational scripture is when we allow God to speak back to us. Try this, write a letter to God, and then say, okay, Lord, how would you respond? And let him respond back to you. And another one is intentional relationships. Practices. We can't get close to everybody, right? We have to be selective. Community groups is a great place to start. But even there, we should think of one or two people we can get close to and have intentional, Christ-centered relationships. And it should definitely start with our families, amen? That's why I have you here. Take walks. It's nice, right? You want to get to know your neighbors? Enjoy the weather. In our cars, we just move too fast. Take a walk. Take your kids. If you're married, hopefully your spouse is your best friend. If not, figure out why not. And spend time together. And then finally, selective service. This is not the draft into the army. This is simply meaning that what we do when we serve others, we can't do everything. Select something. Lord, what are you calling me to be part of? What we started yesterday was a great beginning. Maybe us who were involved. I mean, we had a great time working with the foster families. That could lead to a regular practice. Practice something. Don't try to do too much. Let me give an example. Someone does this for their neighbors. They practice every other day on garbage day on recyclables. They take the garbage cans that are empty and they bring them back to their neighbor's backyard. Easy, right? They practice that. And it's a practice. And they know that they are serving. They don't try to do, to, to ever, do everything. It could be as simple as that, or as dramatic and heroic as what happened in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 2017, when patrolman Ryan Holitz was on a call and he was with a woman addicted to heroin. Her name was Crystal. Crystal's partner's name was Tom. They were both on heroin. And Officer Holitz said, why are you doing this to your child? How dare you do this? To which Crystal responded back, you don't know how hard this is. You have no idea what I'm going through. And Holden said in that moment, he felt God speak to him. And he said, you're right, I don't. But your child is so important. How are you going to take care of your child? And he said how the Lord spoke to him, he just knew what to do. And in that moment, he said, I will adopt your child. So... Ryan Hullett and his wife, their fifth child, is this little girl. And her name is Hope. And the good news is, Ryan and his wife then paid for Crystal and Tom to go to rehab and to get clean. That's a practice. He can't adopt every child, but you can adopt one. And those who have that ministry among us, God bless you. It's so inspiring. So, silence, scripture and conversation, having intentional relationships and intentional selective service. Why am I sharing all this? Because I want to be inspired every Sunday, but can I be real? Sometimes I'm not. <laughs> Sometimes I come in, I check the box, and I leave. I go to a community group, I check the box, and leave. Sometimes we forget the why. Andy preached last week, were you here, or two weeks ago. He says, if you know what your why is, you can do the what. We need a big why. Why we do it? What inspires us? 
But truth be told, sometimes we can't grasp our why. Then we got to go back to the what. We got to do the what's. Sometimes we got to work our way through the what's, the practices, to get back to the why. Amen? And that brings up a movie my dad did like, which was Rocky. Back in the day, when, um, you know, he, my mom used to kid, like, my father could never sit through a movie. He's just going to, you know, got to go get a cigarette. <laughs> but he loved Rocky. He loved it. And this is why, because Rocky had a goal. His why was to become the champion. But he had to do the what. In this scene, there he is, getting up at 4.30 in the morning like he did every day. Not one, not two, not three, not four, but five raw eggs, as he has there. Gulps them down, wipes off his mouth, and goes run through the streets of Philadelphia. Little by little, he's staggering. He wakes up. He's getting stronger. Then the music comes on, you know? Getting strong now. You know how it goes. And eventually, he gets to the point he's up on top of the steps, and he realizes this is his why. This is what he does. Friends, sometimes we got to work our way back to our why. Start with a practice. This week, build in. They say 30 days makes a practice. I'm going to work on silence. Do it for a month. I'm going to work on journaling. Do it for a month. I'm going to work on intense relationships. I'm going to work on a selective service project. Do it for a month. And finally, I want to end with some good news, because this isn't all about us. We are inspired amen, ultimately, by the great practitioner, Jesus himself. Hallelujah. Because Jesus himself, praise God, he brings together perfectly the what and the why. He brings together the practices of giving himself in service, of doing things that help others, of being integrated, being a, being a, a person with integrity, but also with a great call. And he calls us to follow him, to practice like he did. So the writer of Hebrews says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that so clings and clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. That's a beautiful picture. The Christian life is a race, but it takes practice, it takes work. Anyone who's done training for marathons knows. But the good news is we have a great cloud of witnesses. That's like an image of like a balcony, and there's people in your balcony. And they're saying, you could do it, you could do it. Keep practicing, keep practicing. You're getting stronger. Do it, do it, do it. But ultimately, we see the pioneer of our faith, it's Jesus. We see up ahead of our race as we practice, as we struggle, as we're in pain, as we get disappointed, as we get depressed. We see Jesus Christ ahead of us. And he is the great pioneer who disregarded the shame. He endured the cross for us that he could say, one day you'll see me face to face. The shame will be over. And guess what? That day's coming. We won't have to practice anymore, amen? We're going to see him face to face, and we'll be with him, and we'll say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. No more practice. We'll be in the real deal. I look forward to that day. Therefore, don't grow weary or lose heart. Let's pray. I'm going to read you a translation of Jesus' words to us. It's from the message. This speaks to what we've heard today. This speaks to our need to find rhythm, our need to slow down. So still your hearts.
and hear this word to us. Jesus says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burn out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Come to me, says Jesus.